My little children, I'm writing these things to you. Why? So that you may not sin. That's why I'm writing it to you. I'm writing this to you to say, or to, to suggest... Now listen, I know, it's, I know some words that are rolling around your head right now. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about this idea of the power of sin. Is it broken or does it still have us? So let, I don't, don't, don't be thinking what I'm not thinking, okay? All right, or what you think I'm thinking. Or as Richard Nixon said, I know you think you heard what you thought I said, but I'm not sure you understand that you th what I said was not what you thought I said. Or something like that. Now, now notice here, and this is part of the tension. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you won't sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. So the, so the idea is, I'm writing this to you so that you won't. Is sin's power broken? But if you do, don't despair, don't give up, don't say, okay, it's, I'm out. It, this is a wonderful balance here. Right? It's a wonderful balance here. To not give away too much or not enough. Then finally, go back to the Gospel of Matthew real quick. I, I want to look at this. We're, we're going to start off from this. And I'm going to do my best to try to work through this. Um, in Matthew chapter 1, which is real consistent with this season, when the birth of Jesus Christ is about to occur, and it says in verse 18, when Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her. Sidebar, I'm going to talk about this for a second. You know what's interesting when it says right here that he was a righteous man? And what did he not want to do? Disgrace her. Let me tell you something. If your religion makes you hard and mean, you've got the wrong end of the deal. If your religion makes you hard and mean, you've got the wrong end. This guy was righteous, and because of that, he did not want to disgrace her. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful? I see people's religion gets them mean and harsh. That, that, that's the wrong end of the deal. That's for another time. Okay. Verse six, uh, 21. Uh, she will bear a son, and you will call his name from Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. That's what he says. He will save his people from their sin. Now that question, of, or that, that, that statement, that preposition, from you know, requires some discussion here. Or the idea of, what does that mean? <laughs> and I know what it says. I, my, my students are always, or people sometimes will argue, well, that's what the Bible says. I know, but what does it mean? Right? It says, I told you before when I was 16, I read the verse, if a, if a man does not hate his mother and father, he can't be my disciples. I told my parents I was just trying to be biblical all the time. <laughs> you know, just trying to follow God's Word, Dad. From. Now, I want to suggest that, first of all, we know that, that Jesus' life and ministry saves us from the penalty of our sin. You betcha. That's, that's where it all starts. But does that, being from sin, save us from the power of sin? You know, I, I, when I think about this, I, I, I think, uh, in, I, like, I like legal uh, uh, discussions. I like to read on the internet about, about law and, and stuff like that. And I wrote in my notes here, I said, you know, if, if we're saved... From the penalty of sin, are we also saved from the power? The question here is whether this act of God's mercy and love to forgive us changes us. Are you with me? 
You can forgive somebody and it doesn't change them. Right? You, you can, we, people can be forgiven and not change. The question is, is the New Testament, is the, is the understanding of the Bible that, that not only when we're forgiven, we're forgiven, but we're changed. It, let me tell you a, a story that just fascinated me. There's a mother whose only child was shot dead uh, several years ago in Minnesota. Her name is Mary Johnson and she's 59. She lives in, a, in an apartment now in that area of Minnesota uh, with a young man named o, uh, uh, O'Shea Israel. And the guy that lives next, to her, next door to her was the man that killed her 20-year-old son. In 1993, he killed her only son, 20 years of age. He went to prison. He was sentenced to 25 years, served his time, or most of it. He served 17 years. But while he was in prison, while he was in prison, Mrs. Johnson visited him in prison. She went to see him. She began to say, as a, here's, here's what the paper reports. She's a teacher and a devout Christian. And she said that not forgiving this young man was causing her more problems and realized that this was absolutely contrary to what Jesus had said for her to do. So she began to go to the prison and ask to meet with him. This is the young man who killed her 20-year-old son. And at first, this young man, uh, O'Shea Israel, refused. He wouldn't do it. He said, I refused her for nine months. He said, I, I didn't know why she wanted to meet me. I didn't want to deal with her anger. I didn't want to have her tell me what I'd done was wrong. And after a while, she, he, he said, okay, I'll meet with her. And she said to him, look, you don't know me, and I don't really know you, but let's start with right now. The pair met regularly, and after a while, after those meetings, this killer was released from prison. Mrs. Johnson introduced him to her landlord with her blessing and invited him to move next door to her in the apartment complex. He didn't have a place to go. He didn't know what he was going to do. And Mrs. Johnson said, I have forgiven him, and I believe that that forgiveness means that I have to let all of that past go. He lives next door to her. Israel made this statement. He said, I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning to forgive myself. I'm still growing toward trying to forgive myself. But he hopes that he can show others that this young man that he killed, his life was not in vain. He said he works at a recycling plant during the day and goes to college at night. He's determined to make a difference in his life. He visits prisons and churches and talks to them about forgiveness and reconciliation. Mrs. Johnson often joins him. They tell their story together. That's the power of forgiveness that changes somebody. Can you imagine working hard to invite the young man that killed your son to live in an apartment next door to you because he had nowhere else to go? That's the kind of wondering I have is, does this freedom from the penalty of sin, does our awareness of our being forgiven from the, the penalty of sin does it transform us? Does it make a difference in our life to where we're transformed and the power of sin is dealt with? Well, here's what I want to look at. I want to let you look at these three things. We need to recognize the source of sin strength. Recognize the source of sin strength. I, uh, over the years, uh, this has been uh, just fascinating. 
because, you know, my default setting is, well, the, 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 the power of sin is, you know, my sinful nature or my desires. And there's some of that to that. But, you know, the Scripture is a little clear about that. And I, I want to ask you to think about this. That the, the, the source of sin's strength, as I read the New Testament and understand it, is that we try to deal with it by trying harder. <laughs> we, we, we try to deal with sin by trying harder not to do it. How's that working? <laughs> How's that working? Trying harder not to do it. I want you to look at a passage here. I'll, 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 I'll show you a couple of them. 1 Corinthians 15. I know we're all over the place today, but I, I just have to get this done. It, it changed the game for me. And I think in some ways the power of sin became less when I finally understood this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is referring to the resurrection and what's going to happen. And he makes this statement, verse 53 of chapter 15. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, that what is mortal will have, been put, will have put on immortality. Then come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now watch this. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is what? The law. What's the source of sin's strength? The law. The law. Paul's talking here about the Ten Commandments. The power of sin is the law. The law says don't do it, and then immediately what do you want to do? The power of sin is the law, that it actually creates this circumstance in which it enslaves us. And I'm going to try to get this because this is why when Paul and others say that we're now released from the law. That's because the law is the problem. If we get a rule and we decide I'm going to live by it and get this, that's where the problem starts. Now, let me, let me go sideways here for a second and come back to this. I want to tell you something. I believe, and I'll show you here in a minute in Romans, another place, that the law... Law-based religion is any religion that appeals to my effort and my energy to try harder to stop doing what I know I shouldn't do. And we religious people do that all the time, don't we? Just try to stop. Just try willpower. But Paul says here, the power of sin is the law. Go back there to Romans for a moment in 7. Romans 7. I wish I had time to just stay with 7, but let, let, me just, let me just show you this. In Romans 7, verse 4, Paul says this, Therefore, my brethren, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. And be careful here. Die to the law as a means of dealing with sin. Die to the law as a means of dealing with sin through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another that was raised from the dead and that you might bear fruit for God. Look at verse 5. Paul and Jesus make some wild statements. For while we were in the flesh, were, huh, were, that's past tense, we were, we were living by human power, human ability, human effort. That's what the flesh is, sarkikos. It's living by human power, human ability, human effort, human energy, human discipline, human trying. When we were like that, what happened? The sinful passions which were aroused, how? By the law. 
How do those sinful passions, when you and I were in the flesh, when we were living our lives in the power of human ability, human effort, what was happening? The law was arousing sin, creating a habitat, if you will, for it, making it alive. Now, th this is fascinating because Paul is trying to indicate here, look, the reason that we're freed from the power of sin because we're freed from the bondage of the law that says try harder, do better, and maybe God will love you. You ever live like that? It doesn't work. The, the, the idea that, that sin is empowered by the law. Oh boy, here we go. Yeah. I'm going to show you here real quick. Rose is saying this. I... I I'm 60 years old. I know I look less, right? Come on. Yes. I want to I walk you through this about this because, and I, I, don't, I sure hope I don't, I don't sound arrogant. But at 60, I've not yet heard anybody in my judgment deal with Romans 7 with what they're trying to deal with, what Paul's trying to deal with. In Romans 7, Paul is not talking about the Christian life. Either that, or he flat out contradicts himself. In 6.15, if you're going to go to read it, he said, Sin shall no longer have mastery over you, because you're not under the law. See that? Back in 6. Shall we sin? Oh, I'm sorry, 14. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, the way we interpret that is, that means that I can sin and it won't be a big deal because I'm not under the law, right? I'm under grace. Well, go read 6.1 if that's what you think. If you think, well, I'm, I, sin isn't going to master me because I'm not under the law. I can kind of sin however much I want to because I'm under grace. That's, go look at 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How can you who have died in Jesus Christ now live in it? This is thick stuff here, guys. That's why I don't ever hear much about it. So, so the idea is that with sin, the problem is the law. The law arouses it, sin, and the law strengthens it. That's why, let me say this, in 7.7, 7, that's why in seven, Romans 7.7-25, 7, the question isn't, why do I struggle like this as a Christian? The questions are, can the law deal with sin? That's the question. It's not a question of, is seven about how I live the Christian life? Let me show you. Look, what are the questions? Look at seven. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? On the contrary. I would not have known sin except through the law. The law, when he said you were released from the law and, and, and sin was aroused by the law in 7.5, well, the natural conclusion is if, if sin, if the law arouses sin, then the law must be sinful, right? Of course. I mean, if it arouses sin, Paul's answer is what? No way. No, it doesn't. It simply reveals it. Watch this. Verse 8, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment. What did sin do? It took the commandment. It took it, an opportunity, and it produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. 
Really? Really? What, what, what Paul is saying, the power of sin is the source is law. And I don't, that sounds like great news to me. Because the law is an attempt to try to deal with sin by human effort. and You don't believe me? Go down to 13. Then therefore did that which is good cause death in me. What, what's the good he's talking about? The law. The, the questions aren't, why am I living the Christian life like this? The questions are, where does the law fit in here? You with me? Is this making sense to you? I know it's completely contrary to probably what you ever heard. Because people just jump in it. Instead of saying, wait a minute, what Paul is trying to do, let me, let me tell you the backstory that might help. In Judaism, in, in, in Jewish rabbinical teaching, there is no doctrine of original sin. Did you know that? They don't believe that people are born with a sinful nature. They believe that people are born with a yetzer, or an impulse. One impulse is tov yetzer, means the good impulse, you want to do good. And the other impulse is the ahav yetzer, which does evil. That's how human beings are. They're, they're sort of neutral. And so they have a good impulse, they have a bad impulse, and you know, whichever one you give into is the one that wins. I, I remember as a kid growing up here in a Native American story uh, that a guy said, you know, there's a good dog and a bad dog in me, and whichever one I feed wins. Part of the problem with that is it gets you a little pretty schizophrenic. <laughs> right? Hi, who am I meeting today? <laughs> Which one are you? <laughs> there's some schizophrenia there. There's two of me? Wait a minute. So Judaism teaches and has taught rabbinical theology. It's fascinating. That because people have these two impulses, one good, one bad, God gave them something that would keep the good Yetzirah working and would not sin. Guess what that was? The law. The thing that would enable you to not sin is the law. And Paul is saying here, you got it backwards. The law is what empowers sin. You, you remember they wanted to kill him, right? This was not just some little thing for them. I have to tell you a story. I, I wrote a paper on this years ago when we went to Israel. I think I mentioned that. And I was in the plane. And I was surrounded by conservative Jewish rabbis. They had the hat and everything, you know. I mean, they looked, looked, looked the part. And I can't sleep in a plane. I just can't recline enough. And so I got my iPad and my uh, keyboard. And I'm writing this paper for our university, for a class, about that the law is the problem. I'm the only person awake in the cabin. And then I think... What if one of those rabbis looks over my shoulder and sees this? I may be thrown off this plane. <laughs> Listen, rabbis taught that today when God got up this morning, whatever central standard, I don't know when he got up, but he got up. Today, God spends all day studying the law. Did you know that? That's what God does every day. He studies the law. The backdrop of this is that Paul is coming at them to say the very thing that you think will save you is what is putting you in bondage. 
the law. Try harder. Memorize it. Work at it. Is the very thing that's trapping you. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's it can't deal with sin. That's Paul's whole point here. The law is the power of sin. You know, I'm not getting as far as I thought today. Listen, but I don't leave you hanging here. Listen, this revolutionized my understanding. Listen to me. And here's what happens. People will ask me sometimes, Cliff, is chapter 7 the way Christians live? And I said, it can be. It can be. If you and I are trying to deal with sin in a law-based approach, you're going to find yourself in here. Now, now, none of us carry the Ten Commandments around and think by, by memorizing them, but here's what we do. We teach people that if they're having trouble with sin, that the answer is read the Bible more. Has that worked for anybody? <laughs> we tell people if they're trouble, having trouble with sin, pray more. I mean, listen, I've gotten up off my knees and had the most incredible, crazy thought in my life I've ever had. Anybody with me? You weren't with me. No. <laughs> I'm trying to see if you're awake. <clears throat> you weren't with me. There's a lot of law-based religion, guys. There's a lot of law-based religion. Pray more. Read more. I, I believe in that. I do that. Give more. Do more. That's the law. You see, God has one answer for us, and His name is Jesus. And it is utter, complete dependence on Him. Not trying harder. Not working your way into this. But understanding that the law-based relationship with sin means you're going to get mastered by it. And you know, this is really interesting to me because I lived a much of my Christian life like this. I am, this is not spiritual at all, but by nature, I'm a very disciplined person. Really disciplined. My dad just, he told me one day, we're going to cut a word out of the dictionary. I said, what is that? He said, quit. We're not, we're not going to say that word ever again. And he meant it. And I, I remember living my life for so long of this kind of law-based, try harder, more effort, instead of this radical dependence upon Jesus. And it made me mean. It made me dismissive of other people. And I had an answer for everybody that the reason you weren't living as good as I was because you weren't reading as much as I were. Or because you weren't praying as much as I were. Or you didn't fast enough. Or you, see all these things that we begin to do to people? Then they find themselves in Romans 7. Because law-based religion has no power over sin. Do you see this? This may be a, 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 a rethink for some of us. Listen, we're not out from under the law, Paul would say, so we can sin. We're not out from under the law so we can live free now and do whatever we want to. We're out from under the law because Paul understands the law is what's going to cause you to sin. Do, do, do you understand that? The law is going to excite insight. Back at 7 verse 4. For I know that before we were in the flesh, our sinful passions were aroused by the law. Now, how does that work? Oh my goodness. Next week. Uh, here, here's how it works. When you and I 
live in human power and ability. And generally we use the word, I'm trying harder. Get ready to fall. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to depend on Him, rely on Him, trust in Him. I tell my students, have you ever noticed this? Anybody ever had the misfortune of praying for patience? Yeah, I don't do that. Any, anybody ever prayed for courage and you didn't get it? Anybody besides me? Anybody asked for strength and didn't get it? Come on, it's a dirty little secret. We, t we don't talk about it. Right? You know why? Because you and I don't need patience. We need Jesus. You don't need courage. You need Jesus. You don't need power. You need Jesus. God, God has one answer for every need we have. And yet we think there's some formula or some way around it. And when we do, we get into our law-based religion. If you'll do this, you'll have victory over sin. If you'll do this, you won't have bad thoughts. If you'll do this, we have all of these regimens that we send people through. I'll tell you something. The law, you, you and I have to get out from under it as a way of living because it's going to incite and empower sin. Is this good news? L listen, if we don't understand that, then we're going to find ourselves trapped by the power of sin. I just ask you to go read. I'm going to, I'm going to stop in just one minute. I want you to read if you, you could do, Romans 7 to 25. Romans 7, 7 to 25. And I want you just to notice this. How powerless the law is with sin. See, the, the situation in 7 isn't who's living the Christian life and who isn't and was this before Paul or after Christ. The whole issue under consideration is that the law is powerless to deal with sin. Here's my final statement. Go to chapter 8 if you're there in Romans Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. Now listen to this. For what the law could not do. What is it the law couldn't do? Deal with sin. What is it the law? I mean, Paul is just throwing that out there. What the law could not do. Couldn't deal with sin. You can't tamp it down. Can't stop it. Can't deal with it. God did, or what, what the law could not do, weak as it was through human power, that's what the word flesh means, God did, sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh so that, this is so interesting, that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to flesh or human power, but according to the Spirit. What was it the law couldn't do? So here's what I ask you to do this week. Would you, would you do this this week? Would you give up your lists? Would, would you give up your lists and your, your routine and your ideas on that? And just go to Jesus. Every day just say to Him, I need you. 
I don't need patience. I don't need courage. I don't need strength. I, don't, I need you. Give your lists up. Give your tactical plans. And go to Him. Because the law will trap you and incite you to sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, take these thoughts beyond these thoughts to our meeting you and living in constant dependence upon you. We need you. We don't need some new rules. We don't need some new tactics. We need you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus.